Deer found her. As you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Deer Found Her podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Found Her. I can't wait for you to meet today's guests for so many reasons. The first of which is that I am a huge fan of her and her podcast, Cubicle to CEO. Ellen Yin is one of the few podcasters I listen to every single week. I never miss an episode, often taking notes along the way. I joked with her before we got on today that I can't listen to her podcast when I'm out and about because I have to re-listen to it in order to take the notes from the conversation. Ellen's built and accomplished so much in just five years, we can all learn so much from the experiences that she shares. She left corporate America and bootstrapped a $300 client to six figures before pivoting and then pivoting again. And all of these pivots, it wasn't because she wasn't making money, quite the opposite, actually. But before we get into today's episode and before I introduce you to Ellen, I'm your host, Lindsay Pinchuk, and I myself have been building brands for nearly 25 years since college. And with a $500 investment, I founded, built, and sold a seven-figure business that reached 3 million people per month. This podcast is my twice-weekly letter to you to inspire you to find success through your own entrepreneurial endeavors. This podcast is also the show that I wanted 13 years ago when I myself became an accidental female founder. If there's anything you want to hear about or anything that you want me to share to help you through your own journey, I invite you to reach out. Simply email me, lindsay at lindsaypinchuk.com or DM me at lindsaypinchuk. And if you're inspired by today's episode, I invite you to share it. Text it to a friend or share it in your stories on Instagram. If you tag me at Lindsay Pinchuk or at Dear Founder, I will absolutely come and say hi. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would love it if you left a five-star rating or review. That's how other entrepreneurs discover our show and the incredible stories that we share here. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Dear Founder, and you can leave a rating or review wherever it is that you podcast. Now on to today's episode. Ellen Yin's journey from cubicle to CEO began when she quit her corporate marketing job five years ago without a backup plan. After landing her first freelance marketing client a month into her job search, she swore off sending out resumes for good. And by reinvesting her profits back into the business over and over again, she bootstrapped that first $300 client project into over $1.5 million in revenue by age 27. To date, she's mentored over 10,000 students through her online programs. You can catch her every Monday on the Cubicle to CEO podcast. But for now, come on in and meet the one, the only, Ellen Yin. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I am so excited about today's guest. I have been counting down the days for this conversation because 
I listen to Ellen Yin probably more than anyone else on the podcasting app. Truly, she is, I just explained to her that she is the one person I have on repeat. I take notes. You need to be listening to Cubicle to CEO because the information that she provides there is so, so, so valuable. Whether you're a founder or whether you're just a woman in business and you want more solid information. But Ellen's journey really mirrors my own, as you just heard me say. And I have so many questions for her. And I think we all have so much to learn from her. So Ellen Yen, welcome to Dear Found Her. Lindsay, thank you so much for the warm welcome. I am incredibly grateful to be here. Hello to your listeners. And thank you so much for being such a loyal listener, friend, and supporter. Of course. And thank you for agreeing to come on. This of is course. Like the best. It's this is the best way to start my Friday. <laughs> so, oh, I forgot you're on Pacific time. So yeah. tell us what is Cubicle to CEO and give us kind of the background of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So Cubicle to CEO, the name, as you can imagine, is inspired by many people's journeys who are similar to my own working in a cubicle or a corporate job, and then leaving that to become an entrepreneur or a CEO of your own business. But when I left my own corporate job, when I left my cubicle, I actually didn't leave it with the intention to start this brand um, or even start a business. I was I was 23 at the time. It was more of a move based on feeling out of alignment with the role at the company that I was working at. Um, my background is I've always worked professionally as a marketer, but at this particular company, I was working for a health insurance company. And any of you who have ever worked in healthcare, I'm sure you can understand how dry of a subject healthcare can be. There's not a whole lot of creativity. There's a lot of regulations around what you can and cannot say. And so because of that, I felt my creativity was stifled. And even at that young age, I really knew that staying in that job longer wasn't going to change how I felt about it. So much to the um, dismay, I'm sure, of those around me who thought I was making a terrible mistake, I quit that job without a backup plan at the end of 2017. And the only thing I had on my horizon at that point was applying for other jobs at perhaps a better suited company. So again, no no inclination of being an entrepreneur. But what ended up happening was, well, two things. One, I, I injured my back um, only a couple weeks after that. And I was basically like bedridden for a month. And so January kind of passed by in a blur. And then I started applying for a few jobs. But in the midst of that job search process, I actually reconnected with a coworker of mine who was at the company that I had just left. And on the side, him and his wife had a family business owning these two local coffee stands. And because of our work together in corporate, um, he knew that I knew a thing or two about social media marketing. So he reached out and said, Hey, you know, we, we don't really have much of a presence on Instagram while you're looking for jobs. Would you be interested in maybe helping us out, um, with getting our account started and, and, and whatnot. And of course I leaped at the opportunity. I wasn't doing anything else. So they became my very first freelance client for $300. And I always say that first paycheck from that client changed my life, not because it was 
obviously any life-changing amount of money, but because it opened my eyes to the first time that I had a skill set that could be monetized outside of a traditional job structure. And it really gave me that courage and that curiosity to say, okay, if I can make $300 from this client, is it possible that I could acquire another client for, let's say, a $500 a month retainer or a $1,000 a month retainer? And I just could start to see my vision expanding. So that's what I did. I, I kind of made this resolution with myself that I wasn't going to apply for any other jobs. I was just going to go full force for 90 days and see how many clients I could get. And you know, fast forward five years and here we are. So there's a whole lot else that happened in between, of course, but that's kind of the genesis of it. Well, so one of the things that I love about your story and the way what you just explained is you use the words monetize my skill set. And everyone has a skill set, right? And it's really just kind of honing in on what that skill set is and what you can offer so that you can make money from it. Mm-hmm. What I love about your story is that you honed in on that skill set, you started making money, but you evolved. And you mm-hmm. evolved not only to meet the needs of your clients and then your community, but your own and your own lifestyle. And so I would love for you to take my listeners through that kind of evolution as to, you know, you started as this freelancer contractor, essentially, which so many people do. But I want people to understand where you are today and what happened in between, because you have made some significant changes that have really just built upon every experience was a build upon of the past experience. And that is what I try to really push here because Mm -hmm. so many people want to go from zero to hero overnight. And this, it takes time and you've built it and you've built upon everything to do what you're doing today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to share that that evolution. And of course, at any point, if you hear something that you want me to expand on, uh, feel free to interrupt. I I basically, um, you know, like I said, ran ran full force with this idea of continuing to get clients. And before I knew it, I had built a pretty solid portfolio um, within my first year and year or two of clients. So somewhere around 2019, I was working with anywhere between 10 to 12 clients. Um, I actually hired on uh, another contractor to help me service these clients. But something inside me kind of hit this point where I realized, okay, I'm I'm building this thing. Like at that point, our, our boutique agency was making more than six figures a year. But I realized at some point, the only way really to scale in this model is to hire more staff, right? Because there's only so many clients you can really take on um, as a solopreneur or as someone with just a very part-time assistant. So I was thinking about it and I was like, I know I'm good at this, but do I really see myself waking up every day for the next number of years and running an agency? Like, is that the vision that I have for myself? And it became very clear to me that it was not. And so I, I kind of started to lean into, okay, what else could I be doing to, to serve people that doesn't rely on me doing done for you marketing services? And that's kind of where Cubicle to CEO was birthed from. Um, I had at that point already been receiving a lot of questions from other service providers, coaches and freelancers asking, Hey, how did you grow your client base so quickly? How are you charging four and five figure monthly retainer rates for the work that you're doing and you're only a year into business? Um, there were so many questions and I had been kind of like piecemealing, helping people as I could through DMs or phone calls and, and coffee meetups or whatnot. But I realized there was this opportunity for me to actually uh, package together my knowledge and this methodology that I had created for scaling my own business and 
teach it in a more scalable way to people. So Cubicle to CEO started out as a group coaching program or a course turned kind of mentorship program. And then in the summer of 2019, I decided to launch the podcast of the same name. And at the time, those two things were completely unrelated. Like I didn't really think, oh, the podcast is going to like feed into this one or the other one, vice versa. But I just really- Little did you know, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I I started the podcast really um, almost in a way to fulfill this childhood dream of mine. Uh, growing up, writing was always my my first love, my first passion, and I went to college originally thinking I was going to major in broadcast journalism. My dream was to work in entertainment news and someday host my own daytime television talk show. Honestly, that probably still is the ultimate dream, Lindsay. If I'm being honest. <laughs> Ellen, we are like the same person. I'm not kidding. And like, and that I didn't share with you either, but I also wanted to go to school for journalism. But when I got accepted to the University of Michigan, I had to, I had to go and there's no journalism program there. And so, but like, this fulfills that dream of mine. Like I, you know what yes. I mean? Like at my, in my first company, I was interviewing a lot of different celebrity moms for our platform and I loved it and I loved it the most. Right. And then when I started the podcast, it, it was also had nothing to do with my business. And little did I know that it was going to intersect as well. So, I mean, very similar, like the podcast fills that bucket, right? Of the journalism bug. Yes, it's, it so does. Um, and I, I feel so grateful that both of us live in a time and an age where there are so many mediums and platforms for you to be able to engage in this work of interviewing people or, you know, just letting your curiosity run wild essentially. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I, I started the podcast again with very, very little direction as to what the future of it would be. I just knew it fulfilled this purpose I had inside of me and I loved it. And it was such a great way to meet people. I think podcasting is one of the best networking tools to ever exist. And I, you know, just continued on with building my education company at that point. So that original course that turned into a mentorship program, we, over the years, over the, over a course of three years, we helped hundreds of service providers and coaches make their first $10,000 income month in their own businesses through one-on-one uh, -on -one client work. And then we ended up expanding into other uh, smaller products. You know, we, we created a, a, course called hashtag hacks. It's retired now, but at one point, you know, it was, it was like growing our business like crazy because we, I think we brought in almost 10,000 customers just from that one product alone. And then we also, you know, created other resources to meet our community's needs, like our pay to create challenge, which is a three day live challenge where we help aspiring course creators make their first online course and turn that knowledge in their head into a profitable course and pre-sell it before they even create it. So all of these things happened and, you know, we were just running right along, growing year over year as a business. And then somewhere around the spring of last year. So this brings us to 2022, spring, summer, 2022. I hit another, uh, I guess like introspective moment where I was like, all right, like this education company is really taking off. We've really made a lot of progress over the last three years. But again, I came to that point where I felt like, in, in a way, it, it kind of felt like I was being boxed back in, not in like the traditional sense of like working in a cubicle where you have no freedom over yourself, but boxed in in, in my identity because I, I felt like everyone was viewing me as 
a coach first or a coach only. And when I really thought about the legacy that I wanted to leave with my business, it wasn't one of being a coach. As much as I love educating and mentoring, and that's never going to leave me and who I am as a person, I was like, I don't really think that's my greatest gift to give to the world or to, to make the largest impact. And so I, I kind of, um, had a, a frank discussion with my team and I was like, you know, I've always, you know, since I was little, I've always wanted to be a journalist and I've always wanted to create content that really expands people's minds and changes their view of what's possible for themselves. And I want to do that through a media company, but I'm like, I literally know nothing about building a media company. And I, I know it would be taking a huge risk to kind of cut off the, uh, the the things that are actually making us money in this business right now. But what do you guys think? Like, should we plan to do that in the next maybe two years, like build up to that? And, you know, my team is amazing. We're such a small scrappy team. We, I have two full-time employees and they, they came back to me and they said, you know what, Ellen, if that's, if that's the ultimate dream, like, why are we waiting two years to do that? They said, let's just do it now. Hi guys. It's me, Lindsay. I'm not sure if you're aware, but over the last nine months, I haven't just helped big enterprise brands on their marketing efforts through my consulting firm. I've also helped over a dozen women, small business owners in launching their companies, building their brands, and to tweak what wasn't working. I've been building and growing brands for nearly 25 years, but I've forever used one method to build my own brands and that of my clients and students. My signature suite method utilizes social media, your website, emails, events, partnerships, and publicity to generate and execute cost-effective, community-centric marketing strategies. If you're looking for that added layer of guidance, please reach out. There's a link in my show notes. Book a call with me and let's see how I can help you. I can't wait to meet you and learn about your business. Now back to the show. It takes a lot of guts to do what you did because it's not like you weren't making money. Right. right. <laughs> and I think a lo- so a lot of people are listening to this and they're like, oh, like this woman had a product that was making a lot of money, but it wasn't necessarily filling her up in the way that she wanted to be filled up. And mm-hmm. for you to really take that risk and move forward with something else in an arena where you maybe didn't know much about, mm-hmm. but I mean, you are the type of person that you go out and figure it out. You can assess that from everything you've built. Right. Mm-hmm. But that was very risky. You know, yeah. I mean, yes. And I, if you're in my world for any amount of time, you'll kind of observe this about me. I always say I'm kind of an oxymoron because in business or when it comes to big life decisions, like buying a house or, you know, quitting my job or, or changing the business model, I make big leaps and I go all out and I, and I cut the safety cord each time because I know this about myself that if I give myself some sort of backup plan, it's easy to fall back into my comfort zone. So, you know, when I, when I, um, made the original transition from a client-based business to education, I actually fired all but one of my agency clients. So I literally took our revenue down to almost nothing. Um, but that forced me to get really focused on setting up, you know, the funnels and, and the marketing plans to, to scale the courses. Was well, that was question? one of, yeah, that was one of my questions is, you know, you really, you did take a risk in terms of cutting back. And I've heard you say that many times on, on your podcast, because you can't do everything and you can't be everything to everyone. So Mm -hmm. you need to make the decisions as to what is going to fuel your business. And I think you have done that so effortlessly, at least it seems effortlessly, (laughs) you know, I I mean you, but you really have, because I think a lot of people, what they do is they say, well, I want to do this. So I'm going to add, 
Mm-hmm. And you didn't add, you scaled back so that you could focus. And now you have this incredible media company after you had an incredible education company. But I want you to talk a little bit about that because I don't think people understand that sometimes you have to pull back and take away in order to move forward. A hundred percent. So let me, let me start with the example. So basically, like you just mentioned, Lindsay, we've gone through two major evolutions in our business. First from services to education, now from education to media. So in that first transition, um, this happened late 2019. And basically what I did, like I said, is I, I let go of all of my agency clients, except for, I think there was one client that was very low lift and easy to work with. And the reason we did that is exactly to your point, Lindsay, we have limited resources and time and energy and capacity, honestly, especially if you are either working only alone as a solopreneur or you have a very small team and you're not venture backed or you don't have endless resources to just hire and, and delegate everything out. So I had to, I had to come to this realization that as for as long as I would have clients, there, I know myself and there is no way that I would not put the client's priorities first in my business. If they were, if they were going to pay me for these services, I was going to show up and deliver. And that means everything else that I wanted to do on the education side was always going to be last on the list. And guess what? When something's last on the list, it often doesn't get done, right? It just gets pushed back. And so I knew I had to give myself the space, the mental space, but also the physical space in my calendar to focus on uh, getting at that point, what I was really focused on was getting up an evergreen webinar funnel that would lead people directly into my, uh, my group mentorship program. And so when I cut all of my clients, it gave me the space where, um, I, I, joined a program that was specific to teaching you how to set up a webinar funnel. And this was in October of 2019. By January of 2020, I had a fully set up evergreen automated sales funnel for this membership. And within those 90 days, I had gotten this membership, which had basically more or less plateaued at $500 to $1,000 a month because all of my energy was focused on clients. That membership in 90 days had grown to a $10,000 monthly recurring revenue rate and was now, you know, going to be a six figure product. And that never would have happened if I didn't give myself the space and the time to actually make that my number one priority. So that's a great lesson. Like you said, to remember that it's, it's not possible to do all the things. So you do have to choose in different seasons what you're going to prioritize. And we did something very similar again um, when we made our second evolution from uh, education to media company this past summer. We, that, that very program actually that I scaled, um, we has been our largest revenue generator for the last three years. And we actually decided to retire it fully. So we did our final launch in July of last year. And since then we've enrolled no new members in that program. We're about to finish out that year with our final cohort of students this summer. Um, but that was, that was really freaking scary. Like I'm not going to lie, Lindsay, it was, um, realizing, okay, like if we don't accept any more new students in this, like we have to figure out other ways to keep cash coming into the business. So what were those ways and how did you decide to move forward making money? I mean, how, how are you making money now? 
Yeah. So one thing that did help is because we, we strategically, um, so for that, that program had been on evergreen for like about three years at that point. Right. Of course we had done intermittent partner, uh, launches or, or whatnot, but for the most part, not, a, not a whole lot of live launching. So we did strategically choose to do one final big push live launch to close out the program. And because we did that, um, that was a six figure launch that we had. So that money gave us a little bit of breathing room. It gave us a little bit of runway where I could look at that and go, okay, if our media business doesn't bring in any money for the next, let's say 90 days. And because of our business reserves that we've saved up over the last five years, like we're going to be okay. We're going to be able to make payroll. We're going to be able to continue our operations. So that is key. I think understanding how much runway you actually have when you're making a big transition. So that was number one. Number two was I knew as a media business, the the best and quickest way we were going to be able to monetize is through brand partnerships. So, um, you know, brand partnerships, we, we had started doing brand partnerships as a company back in 2020, uh, very, very like, uh, casually, like, uh, you know, a couple hundred here, a couple thousand there. It was not really a big needle mover in our business, but I, uh, in Q4 of 2022, I basically kind of like disappeared in the sense that like you didn't really see a whole lot of anything I was doing publicly online, but behind the scenes, I was in my inbox like every single day, um, making contacts, sending personalized pitches, like getting my hands dirty and making personalized reach outs and saying, Hey, I would like to work with you. This is what I envisioned for us. And there was just as many no's as there were yeses or maybes, or yeah, I'll get on a call. Um, but it, it was really interesting because Q4 of 2022, that December, um, we actually ended up booking quite a few campaigns that I had all of them wait to uh, pay their invoices until January. So on paper, when you look at December of that year, it was like a very dismal month. Like I think we were in the red for like the first time in I don't know how many years, but then come January. And now when you're looking back at this first quarter of 2023, um, we've booked at this point more than $200,000 in campaigns. Um, and all of that was kind of like this delayed gratification that you wouldn't have seen if you were just looking at the back half of last year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Truly, so much. congratulations. And I, I want to ask, do you find now that your feet are wet mm-hmm. and you have campaigns under your belt and you are publicly sharing campaigns and all so you're allowed to basically say who you're working with now, it's easier to get more campaigns? You know, it's interesting because I I think that um because I've always built in public and Lindsay, you know this because you listen to our podcast, but for those who aren't familiar with our podcast, I have been publicly sharing our business's income reports for four years. So since 2019, like back when I was still working with clients and to, to, if you really want the full picture of our evolution, you can like literally go back and and listen all the way through. Um, but every 90 days I come on the show and I share exactly what our business uh, made in revenue, what we spent in expenses and what we profited. And then the context and lessons surrounding that. And it's interesting because as we've, you know, started securing campaigns and and brand partners, I am sharing that process like I'm sharing what's happening in public and I and I'm not sure that it's necessarily driven more revenue our way in terms of like the big corporate partners that can, you know, invest let's say five figure in five figure uh, or more campaigns. Um 
But it has certainly, I think, shifted our community's perspective around understanding what the heck a media company is and what we even do. Because prior to sharing all these details, I think most people, and still to this day when I say like, oh, I own a media business, 95% of people are like, I don't, I have no idea what that means. Or they think like, oh, so you do something with social media, which is obviously not exactly the case. It's funny because when I think back to how I started Bump Club, it, when when you first said, oh, I have no idea how to run a media company. I mean, that is what I did at Bump Club. And when I I, I, I built the whole business on partnerships, you know, and, and I yeah. always found that if I worked with one brand and then went to their competitor and they found out they wanted to work with us too. And it was like, once you got the wheels moving and like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're still a little bit green and, and executing this these campaigns and also providing numbers to back it up. Right. Because a lot of these campaigns are running, but once you start, it makes it a lot easier. And I think a lot of people kind of just need to hear that. Like you just have to get started. You just have to get your feet wet. Mm -hmm. And you didn't just go out and start pitching people. I mean, you have built a company and a community to be able to pitch. Yes. Yes. To your point, that's very fair. We already had assets, right, built up that we were able to leverage just in a different way. And I think the same can be said for anyone listening to this podcast. Whenever you transition into a new career or industry or life phase, right, we often, especially as women, we often discount ourselves and go, okay, if we're starting over in something new. So in my case, being a media operator, I have no past experience in being a media operator, but it doesn't mean that all the other skills and all the other relationships and all the other assets that I've spent years building all of a sudden mean nothing, right? In fact, they are my my biggest strengths and the advantages that I can really um, bring to the table. And and I've seen that in, in my own uh, negotiations with companies because I have a marketing background, I understand... I understand how to speak to brands in a way where they can, where they can see the, the clear value in why they should invest in our community, right? I can speak to them and actually say, Hey, if you do this campaign with us, we can actually get you better returns than you're getting on your, your paid acquisition through Google leads or Facebook or Instagram ads. And not all media people have that background. And so they don't all understand how to talk to a salesperson in that way, but I do because of my background. And you've invested in your community. A hundred percent. You've invested in your community and your community trusts you. And now they're going to deliver for you in different ways than they did before. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think this is also speaking of going back to the podcast, you know, how we talked about when I started it, I had no really understanding of how this was going to play a role in my business. Nowadays, our podcast is our number one media platform in our company. Um, but to, to that point, we've spent years showing up for our community every single Monday, pouring our own time, our team's labor and, and money and everything into creating the best possible show. And we never asked for anything in return, right? We didn't ask people to become subscribers. We didn't ask them to uh, pay for the best content. We put everything up front. And I think because of that consistency, and like you said, that commitment in investing in those people, now when we finally are able to monetize that platform, it's, it's almost feels like a collaboration between, you know, us and our community. Like we're, we're on the same side and we're trying to figure out how we can bring them the best resources and the best deals and discounts possible through the work that we do. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. My listeners who are listening right now know that I'm like, oh, Ellen Yin is a case study for every single thing that I talk about on on a daily basis, which I mean, God's honest truth. All I talk about is investing in your community and building your community and building your trust. You really have one shot with that, right? And yep. it, that it just takes time. And that is something that I really want to hammer home with this because you didn't build this overnight and, and mm-hmm. no one builds it overnight. And I I'm sure you get this as well because I get it too. You know, I have a lot of clients who are very impatient and they're like, well, well, I, but I, it's been three months, three months. I mean, you know what I, you know, building a community takes time and then building a community that you can monetize takes even more time. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, that is something that I really want to emphasize here because you are the epitome of that. I am the epitome of that. You know, that is what we both have done. So I, I mean, I Thank just, you. I, so some conversations I've had recently that have been really just perspective shifting for me. One of them is this idea that we feel that we should expect and deserve excellence from the get go, but it's like excellence is something you have to earn. And, um, you know, you've probably heard me say this recently on the podcast, Lindsay, but it's, I I think it helps to compare it to a sports analogy only because it makes so much sense. It's like you don't step on a track and think you're going to be day one running as fast as Usain Bolt. You don't hop into a pool and go, I'm Michael Phelps in three months. Like those things just don't happen, right? In, In sports, you don't think that you would never dare to think that. But in business, for some reason, we, we have this very warped view to your point because we think that the moment we discover someone is like the moment that they started when in reality, there's so much history that gives context as to why and how they're able to be where they are. And so many founders compare their, their, uh, you know, their back of house to someone else's front of house. And it's just like, nothing is ever as pretty as it seems on the back end. There's so much, uh, strife and struggle and testing and iteration and, and disappointments. And also extreme joys that happen that you may not see. And without that full context, it's really impossible to just compare it apples to apples because it's never that way. Thank you for saying that. And also thank you for being so forthcoming in everything that you do because, and that's part of why I'm drawn to you. I find that a lot of people um, just really do focus on the front of house and don't 
share what's going on behind the scenes. And that's why I have this podcast so that we can let people in to see what's behind. So, okay, now you have this media company. You've totally shifted your perspective. How is it going? And what is the goal and hope for it? My goal and my hope for this media company has always been to use the power of storytelling to expand people's perception of what is possible in their lives and to instill in them the confidence and the tools they need to pursue their full potential. That's really what it is. And it, and it comes from this lens of, you know, I'm, I'm a first generation American. I'm an immigrant and growing up, even though I had the privilege of growing up in a safe community with a college educated father and, you know, all these things that not everyone even has access to, but despite all that, the, the, the community I grew up in, I was not really modeled anyone who looked like me doing anything remotely close to what I'm doing today. And I think had it not been for the time, frankly, that we live in, in this, in the internet age, if I had not been exposed to the stories of other women doing things similar to what I'm doing now, never in a million years would my brain have just magically conceptualized this thought, right? Or this idea to, to go after this. And so I, I think that media has such a powerful way of being able to transform people's lives from such a distance for them to be, be exposed to worlds and to people and to possibilities that their own uh, physical locations or socioeconomic statuses or family life, community life, whatever it looks like, may have historically prevented them from accessing, but because of storytelling, they now can. And so that's really my driving mission is like, how many women can we get to dream bigger and actually believe that it's possible to do it? And you, Ellen Yin, are making money through sponsorships and partnerships mm-hmm. and your membership. Yes. So the membership is this brand new product that we just beta launched to our first 100 founding members, which Lindsay I'm is a member. one. Yes. <laughs> I'm so Ellen grateful. didn't know until I told her today. <laughs> I am so, so grateful. Um, it It is a big experiment at this point, to be honest, but I kind of just had this little inkling. I was like, you know what? Um, I want to create something like we're creating such awesome partnerships with these different brands, right? And many of them become long-term relationships, which is how I like to do business. But I was thinking, how can we leverage our relationships with brands and our access to brands even more and beyond just doing like sponsored content campaigns? How can we actually use our our leverage and our negotiating power and put our whole community behind us and go, hey, XYZ brand, um, can we get a better than what you offer publicly deal or discount or gift on whatever service or software or product you sell? And in exchange, we'll give you access to our community. So it's a win-win because we want to give our community members the best deal possible, the best savings possible on their small business. And if there is a software or a service they're either already using that's powering their small business. I'm thinking everyday things like Zoom, Slack, Riverside, which we're recording this on right now, right? right? If you're already paying for this, or if there's potentially a product or service or software that you want to be using eventually as your business grows, 
why wouldn't we try our best to negotiate on your behalf and get you the best deal possible? So that's kind of what we're doing. I'm, I'm calling it like a Costco membership for small businesses because it's kind of like how you pay Costco. I don't know what their memberships are these days, like $65 a year or something. You know, you pay a, a nominal small fee and in exchange, you get access to all of Costco's, uh, you know, collective bargaining power of getting you these really amazing discounts and deals. And we want to do the same thing, but for small businesses. You used a word just now that I want to point out. You used the word experiment. And that word is so key to entrepreneurship. And I would love for you to kind of share how that word has played and parlayed into what you've done. Because I think in, you know, in knowing what I know about you and knowing what you've shared with us here today, it's all kind of been an experiment. Yep. A hundred percent. You are, I think, spot on with that uh, observation, Lindsay. I would say most of my success is attributed to my willingness to experiment and to experiment without really understanding even where I'm going at the moment that I'm experimenting. And the way I often, this is an analogy I often use with my students, is entrepreneurship, you really have to, to treat it the same way that a scientist will treat their work. Meaning when a scientist is in a lab and they make a hypothesis about something they think will happen, if they run the experiment and their hypothesis is proven to be wrong, they do not shame themselves and make that outcome about themselves, right? They don't go, oh, this hypothesis was wrong. Therefore, I'm a terrible scientist. I don't deserve to be in this lab. Like I should just quit my research and walk away. No. Instead, you, I mean, and I say this with uh, having a father who literally is a scientist, they they are quite joyful actually when whether or not their hypothesis is proven right or wrong, it's it's an amazing outcome for them because they're like, oh, now I have insight or data on something that I didn't have before. And now I can rerun this experiment with a slightly uh, revised hypothesis and just keep building on it, keep iterating. And I think that's such a beautiful process that is true to science, but should also be true to entrepreneurship because everything we do is an experiment. Every progress you make is a result of having new data that helps you make more informed and smarter decisions. But you literally cannot collect information or data by just sitting and thinking and planning. It has to be done in the action and you only can receive that feedback in real time. So that is, I think, key to anyone I've ever met who's been successful in business, yourself included, Lindsay, is you have to have that willingness and that bravery to jump in and just start moving forward. Even if you're like, I'm moving in the completely wrong direction. Oh, well, those data points are actually going to give you so much wisdom. But the second step of that to the experiment is the gut intuition to know when to pivot. And that is a little bit different than a science experiment and because a science experiment is all data, right? I mean, really and truly, it is a data proving a hypothesis. This is using data to change, to shift, to evolve. And then you have to know as an entrepreneur inside when to pivot. So how do you know when to pivot? I think it's going to look different for every person. But for me personally, if I'm doing something and it feels like I'm no longer doing it because I feel any actual purpose or fulfillment in it, but I'm only doing it because of either a should, a feeling of obligation, or some sort of need to continue to meet 
expectations. What I mean by this is this was actually, I was recently on a wellness retreat, Lindsay, and this was like a mind blowing concept that I absorbed from that. It's probably not that mind blowing for others, but for me, it really was because, um, basically the, the retreat facilitator was asked us this question, are you using your gifts or are you using your talents? And in my mind, I, I had to pause for a moment because I was like, I, I don't know, like I've kind of always thought of those two things as the same thing. And she was like, no, they're actually not the same thing because a talent is something that you're good at, maybe exceptional at, but it's because you have put in the time or the practice or other people have told you you're good at it. So you've refined it over time and become quite good at something, but it isn't necessarily always attached to your purpose. It just means that externally you are good at this thing. So therefore people expect that you should do something in that regard. Whereas a gift is like an innate thing. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that you didn't really have to be taught or honed. It's just something you have to offer this world that really, really fills your purpose. And when I thought about it like that, I was like, oh, wow. Like there are so many times in life where we're afraid to quit something because we're actually quite good at it, you know? And it's this talent that we've refined over time. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm doing pretty good at this. Like I'm successful. So why would I stop doing this? And I thought those things, right? When I had those two big shifts in my business, but inside I knew that becoming more and more successful in this thing, like becoming more and more successful at building an agency or becoming more and more successful at being a coach, even if it brought external outcomes of success internally, it didn't really move move me in the same way that it once did. And that's when I know it's time to pivot and, and it's okay to quit something, even if you're actually really good at it. There's, I, I there's so much that I'll say to you offline about that, but I mean, okay. I, I, I seriously, like I, anyone, anyone who knows me and a lot of people who who are listening, who do know me, um, know that there's a reason why I adore you the way that I do, because I mean, I, I truly, when I, I, when I think back to my story and then your story, when you started this with, you know, your $300 project and you were bootstrapping, did you ever imagine Ellen that this is what you would be doing, that this is where it would take you? Never in a million years. And I think that is the danger of over planning is I always tell people this. And if honestly, there's only one thing you take away from this conversation. I hope this is it. When you try to plan from where you currently are today, you're again, your perception, your ability to dream of what's possible is limited by your current and past experiences, right? It's limited by the person you are today. So if five years ago, if you had come to me and said, Hey, Ellen, when you signed this first social media client, what if you someday founded a media company? I'd probably stare at you and be like, I, don't, I honestly don't even understand what a media company is. So like that would be so far removed from my mind. It would never have even come up as a possibility. And it's only because of the experiences that I've gone through and the knowledge I've gained and the relationships I've made over the last many years that have shaped me into a person and to a place where I could even envision something like this being possible. So that's why I think it's it's very dangerous to base everything on over planning where you're at today. But instead, I encourage you to give yourself the the luxury of just leaning into curiosities, exploring where that takes you and understanding that no matter what happens because of you chasing that curiosity, it's going to branch off and, and place you somewhere else that's going to get you a little bit closer to your final vision, even if you can't see it for quite a long time. That's such, it's such good advice. And I know coming from you as well, being an unintentional entrepreneur, mm -hmm. it, 
no, there was no plan. I didn't have a plan. You didn't have a plan. You know, it just, but here, here we both are. And here we both are sitting Mm -hmm. here having done some really fucking awesome things. And, you know, and, and I just, I want to say that and share that and point to you in that there are so many people like us out there and people just need to shake off all of the like things that you need to do and the boxes you have to check. And you just need to focus on yourself. And to your point, the now and how, and how you can use it to evolve. Right. hundred percent. Just do one thing that is either interesting to you, that makes you curious, that helps you grow as a person, do one thing and then just see where that one thing leads next, rather than trying to say, I need steps one through five before I take step one. And one of my favorite quotes of all time, I've said this on so many podcasts, but I think like everybody should know this quote. It's by a poet called Antonio. Oh, his name is Antonio Machado. And the quote goes, traveler, there is no path. The path is made by walking. And I, oh, I could just like, I need to frame that quote because it is so true. We're often trying to look for these distinct, clear, carved out paths. But the truth is if you're doing something you've never done before, maybe no one around you that you've seen has ever done before, there isn't a path. It's only the path is literally created by your footsteps, like digging into the soil, walking in the sand, whatever that is, that's the path that you're forming. So Ellen, if you could give three actionable tips to my community for women who are starting out and they just don't know what the future is going to hold. They don't know they're, they're lost. What would you say? I think first thing I would say is to observe what you're already or who you're already the go-to person for in your network. Like what are you naturally being asked questions about or um, what what types of things are people coming to you for advice? And it may not be anything related to your career. Again, this may be a clue to a natural gift you have that you are just not aware could have some potential to be monetized. And to that point, if, if you feel like your observations come up short, you need to get in the question arena and just be curious and ask. Think of your, think of your potential business dream as you being a detective and you're just going around and asking everybody as many questions as possible to try to really understand like, what is it that people are struggling with or desiring and and from what you collect maybe taking an inventory of your own skill sets and experiences and relationships and thinking is there any sort of crossover here where I could potentially be of service and that is key the market research is something that should never stop for all of your journey as an entrepreneur number 2 i would say is to think about what is the quickest way that i could or the simplest way that I could uh, get paid to do something. And the reason I say this is because making money is like any other skill set. It requires practice. And the longer you prolong it by putting other... Um, for lack of a better word, superficial tasks in front of you. Like so many people sit there all day thinking of, I need to think of a million dollar idea, or I need to come up with the perfect name or logo, or I need to build a website. I need to refine my bio. Like there's so many things, ancillary things that people spend their energy on first when in reality, when you are an entrepreneur, the moment that it switches from hobby to business is when you get paid your first dollar, right? So you just need to think, what is the fastest and quickest way that I can make that first dollar in whatever way is obviously ethical and aligned with you, but in in whatever way 
is possible so that I can just get in the game, get in the practice of what that actually looks like. And you can always refine your offer. You don't have to resell that same thing again. If you realize, Oh, I actually hate editing people's papers. Like maybe that's something you tried and you're like, ah, no, not for me. That's fine. That's actually a beautiful lesson that is going to help propel you even further. So that's the second thing. And then I think the third thing is to actually tell people what it is that you are looking for, whether that's in the form of potential clients, whether that's in the form of mentorship or peers or connections, or, Hey, have you, has anyone ever been to an event about like for me, I could go and say, Hey, I'm new to media. What are the best events in media? Who do you know that works in media? What are the organizations that I should be following or, or consuming their content or whatever it is? Make the ask and do not, again, do not discount the people who are currently in your life or who have been part of your life in the past, who you think have no relation to where you're going in the future, because you truly never know everyone's background and who they know, um, in their own peripheral circles and if I had, you know, been very limited in my viewpoint when I started out and I had thought, oh, that coworker who's a project manager at a health insurance company, like no way he's going to be my first social media client, right? Like what a limiting view when in reality, I had no idea that they had this family business that could use my, my services and my skill sets. But had I not really stopped to tell people, Hey, I'm actually, I'm good at this. And these are the types of things or connections I'm looking for that first that first aha moment would have never sparked. So those are the three things that you can do this week. I'm smiling because you're speaking my language. Ellen, tell everyone where they can find you. Well, the best place to connect with us is on the podcast. So Cubicle to CEO, if you search that wherever you're listening to Dear Found Her, you'll be able to find us follow us. We drop new episodes every Monday with on Monday. We ask our guests, Question, business questions that you can't Google. So we interview successful entrepreneurs and it's all through a financially transparent lens. And then on Wednesdays, I typically do more behind the business content with myself and shorter kind of solo, solo based episodes. Um, but also if you want to just enter our world, be part of our free newsletter, um, all these things, then I would suggest you go take a, actually go take a fun quiz. We just launched this quiz. Lindsay, I don't know if you've taken it yet, but I haven't. We're going to, we'll link it in the show notes too. Okay. If you go to ellenyin.com slash quiz, uh, the quiz is called What's Your CEO Style? It's 10 multiple choice questions, and it tells you what your unique genius is as a business leader and how to lean into your strengths to build a business that actually matches and suits who you are as a person. So there's four distinct CEO styles. I myself am, am the change maker. Um, I'm very curious which one of the four you are. So go to go to the quiz and and take it and then tag me in your result. Ellen Yin, founder of Cubicle to CEO. You are a total gem. I am so honored that you came on to Dear Founder. Please keep doing what you're doing because you're killing it. You are teaching me every single week and every single person who is listening should be following and listening because they have so much to learn from you. So thank you so much for everything that you do for all entrepreneurs. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Your words mean the world. Can you see why I love Ellen so much? She is so filled with wisdom from her own experiences and she's so willing to share it. She takes risks. She isn't afraid to ask for help. She's so transparent and she shares her knowledge so that others can learn from it. As always, I want to leave you with my top five takeaways from today's conversation. If you sign up for my newsletter through the link in the show notes, you'll get all of today's takeaways and lessons to grow your own business sent straight to your inbox. 
It was so hard to pick just five takeaways from today's conversation. So get out your pen and paper and in no particular order, here they are. Number one, sometimes you have to scale back and focus on what you want to put out into the world in order to move forward. You can't be everything to everyone. Number two, in your business, you have to choose in different seasons what you are going to prioritize. Number three, show up and serve your community. Ellen and her team spent years showing up and pouring their souls into their podcast, giving away the information and not asking for anything in return. Now, as they monetize that platform, it feels like a collaboration. Number four, be willing to experiment and learn from your mistakes. As an entrepreneur, treat your work like you would as if you were a scientist. Number five, do one thing first and see where it leads next. Thank you so much, Ellen Yin, founder of Cubicle to CEO, for gracing us with your presence here on Dear Founder. This has been such an incredible conversation. And thank you so much to everyone who's listened and tuned in. I'd love to know what you heard, what you think about today's conversation. Please stay tuned for another brand new episode of Dear Founder coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here.